0: take one, baby. All right, we back for another episode of Take One Podcast, Downtown Church. And this is a special occasion because we are celebrating uh, our women, our sisters who are making history. And today we have our sister, engineer, you know, she wears a lot of hats, <laughs> Adriana Steele. We have our sister Jessie with us, Jessie Harvey, and our special guest, Caroline Steimer. Thanks, Thanks for,
1: having for having me. Us. Yeah, excited to be
0: here. I said thank you for having us. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> this
1: is my podcast now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. We appreciate it. Thank you for joining us, and um, we're excited to know more about you, um, not just us here sitting at this table, but even the folks at Downtown Church and even the community. So first, we wanted to ask you, can you just give us a little bit of... Uh, more details about your background, where are you from? Um, yeah. How did you end up in Memphis?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, super excited to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. So I'm Caroline Steimer. For those who don't know me, um, I've been in Memphis and at downtown church now for six years, which is crazy. It feels like a long time. Uh, I've been Jesse's neighbor for three of those years, which is also really fun. Um, we love that. So um, I'm from. Uh, Northwest Arkansas originally, um, went to the University of Missouri for journalism school, uh, spent some summers in Memphis as a high schooler and as a college student, um, specifically with Service Over Self, um, really fell in love with this. I mean, you know, I loved my childhood, but uh, we didn't really have cities in Arkansas, right? So if you wanted to go to a city of any sort, it was Kansas City or Memphis. Um, So I I feel like I spent a lot of time here as a kid and fell in love with Memphis's food and music and culture, and always thought that I would, you know, in my kind of vision for my life, I was like, oh, I'm gonna go off to New York and Chicago and DC and LA and work for the big news organizations and then I'll come and I'll settle in Memphis. Um, That was like my my grand plan at 18. Um, But a really good job presented itself at a school here in in Memphis and I felt like it combined my love for education and my love for journalism and it was in Memphis it was in the South which yeah. is um, a place where I felt like I actually really wanted to be and so you know came here after graduate school um, Jacob eventually moved here my uh, then boyfriend now husband and we have been here and settled and loving it ever since. Caroline can you tell us um,
2: what piqued your interest in journalism? And were there any role models along the way
1: yeah, that encouraged you? It's a great question. So I was lucky in that my high school in Arkansas had a great newspaper program. Um, and so at a really young age, I got to um, experience what it felt like to do what y'all are doing now, interviewing somebody about their stories and about their life and extrapolating important themes and lessons out mm-hmm. of those stories that others can learn from. Um, so I fell in love with the storytelling aspect of journalism, I also really loved um, that you could change things, that there was impact. Hmm. Um, as a high schooler, I remember a series of stories we did uh, on students, and you know kind of the goal of the series was to show some programs in our school that were really chronically underfunded. Hmm. Um, and it was the high school newspaper, but that had an impact. You know, the principal yeah. moved some money around after that wow. series published. Um, and so I had a great advisor, her name is Janice Gates, uh, we're still very close, she, um, she keeps up with my work and I send her a Christmas card every year type of, type of deal. So now many, many years later, more years than I'd like, <laughs> like to think about since high school, um, she's still a, a presence in my life and uh, she was the first person who was kind of like, you can do this if you want to, you can do this. Um, and that really propelled me to only think about journalism schools for out of high school. Um, So I really track, uh, you know, that experience on the high school newspaper, but also just her voice in my head saying, hey, if you want to do this, you can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, at 18, that's huge to feel like you can head in a direction and be successful. Carolyn, can I prompt you to tell the
2: story, um, the internship you did abroad where you somehow Convinced your boss that you were fluent in French. Yeah, this is not
1: a story I'm particularly uh. proud of. Um, I think on, on the uh, on the people run the spectrum between like hubris and self doubt, and you can easily tell which part of the spectrum I'm on from the story. But um, a great a great opportunity I got in college was to go spend a summer or spend a semester in Brussels writing about the European Union for the Financial Times. Um, which was an, an amazing opportunity. Unbeknownst to me, my boss uh, at the Financial Times uh, either was told or assumed, I promise I did not tell anybody that I spoke French, <laughs> barely speak Spanish, occasionally can speak English fluently, but French <laughs> is, is off the table. Um, and so you know, all summer long, they would send me on assignments where I would go to places where uh, it was me and a couple of other English speakers, and thankfully, it was the European Union, so basically everything was translated into a bazillion languages so all summer i was I was pretty much fine, but I kept on being like, why like they they are sending me and, and telling me to to do things in French, and I can't speak french right. thankfully it was it was you know navig- I was able to navigate it because. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everything was translated and and everyone speaks English uh, When in those settings for the European Union. On the very last day of my internship, we go to a a restaurant uh, that is in all French. And by then, I had pieced together that my boss assumed that I spoke French. And I'd been too embarrassed and uh, insecure to correct the record. And so on the very last day, you know, he orders in French. Everyone around me orders in French. And I just, like, point. There are no prices on the menu, let me tell you. So I just point to a thing on the menu. And so their salads are brought out, their soups, their sandwiches. And for my meal, out comes an entire duck. (laughs) It's lunchtime. It's lunchtime. Everyone around me is, like, making jokes, like, man, you must be really hungry. And I, like, rolled with it. I was like, you know, this is one of my last meals in Europe. Uh, but then I had to, like, eat the duck, right? Because wow. I couldn't order it and yeah. not. Uh, so anyway. Uh, and lots of lessons that I learned from that experience about humility and being willing to, uh, to speak up and say when something is, is incorrect. Um, hey, it's, it speaks to me of your tenacity. Yeah. Wow. Or what my you, um, yeah, in, inability to back away <laughs> from. Well, that's the a strong
0: assumption too. When you probably never spoke in French in front of him. So never ever. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah, for sure. A lot of confidence for in sure. you, Caroline. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: yeah, that's awesome. And you did the internship, and you like you
1: navigated. It. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's. It was awesome. a great experience. Yeah. Because yeah. I I learned a lot about myself and about the world, and yeah. I would not uh, go back in time and make those same choices. <laughs> would not order the duck. <laughs> <laughs> would have corrected my boss earlier. That's hilarious. But you ate the duck. You know,
3: mm-hmm. I feel like that's like a metaphor. For sure. Like, hey, if you make you a mistake, you got to enroll it. You, yeah. own it. you it. owned it. it. Yeah. You did it. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, you, ha- you have already kind of talked about some victories, but what would you say were some some other victories that um, really impacted your life or impacted just the way you see your field uh, in journalism? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I had, I had great internship experiences in college, and they really propelled, you know, like I said, when I started... When I started university, it was kind of with this goal of working for a Financial Times or a Wall Street Journal or a Washington Post, um, and and to you know start my career at a at a metro newspaper like the Commercial Appeal or like the Kansas City Star. Yeah. Um, and through internships at newspapers like that, I realized um, well I had an opportunity to really understand what the field was like at an early age and understand the Unbelievable challenge ahead of us for local news. Mm-hmm. I, you know, saw uh, essentially the the decay of metro newspapers mm-hmm. in real time, um, and so that that's not a victory, but it was a really important lesson, um, and it totally changed my goals because I went from wanting to, um, and like I'm, I'm really grateful for for you know God's work in my heart and presence in my life because I went from being very motivated by. Uh, um, prestige and being good at what I did and moving up in the field and working for the big names. Um, I went from that being my motivation to my motivation being, I think local news is really worth saving and my generation of journalists will be the one to save it or not. Um, And so being very propelled by that mission Mm -hmm. and starting to look at places like Chalkbeat where I ended up where nonprofit news organizations are trying to rebuild the fabric of local news um, and, and choosing that path as opposed to the path of the Washington Post or the New York Times. Yeah. yeah. Can, can you tell us briefly like, what does Chalkbeat do? What is the mission there? Yeah, so Chalkbeat's a nonprofit news organization uh, which just means that we're structured like public radio, like in PR. Um, and we exist to write about education and equity specifically around Public schools Um, and we exist to do that at a local level and so I came to work for Chalkbeat Tennessee we're based in Memphis we write about Memphis schools and state policy Um, but there are seven other Chalkbeat's around the nation and we have a national team um, that I now get to work with and so you know our mission is really we believe local reporting on educational systems are extremely important um, and it's one of the first beats to really go mm. as newspapers and news organizations shrink. And so we're, our mission is to provide excellent coverage but also fill the gaps that are being left behind as um, our existing fabric of lo- local news really um, has, has torn and shrunk over the last mm. two decades.
3: Yeah. yeah, It's so interesting you were talking about just like um feeling a calling to something that may not be like what the world says is like shiny and new and all that kind of stuff but uh, it always amazes me how i think god can call us sometimes to things that are like in front of people and on like the front stage but a lot of times he also calls us to things that just are not as shiny um but it's still like work for his kingdom so i guess like what would you say is like your theology of work and like Mm -hmm. what you're doing um, and then also, can you answer the question of, like, did you grow up as a Christian or, like, when you came to faith?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'll start with that. I I, um, I grew up in a Christian household, and faith was a huge part of our, our family journey and walk. Um, I would say I became a Christian actively kind of at the end of high school. It's where I started to really think about religion as something that was mine to to make decisions about and to be invested in and not just a part of my life or kind of a social circle um, and so you know i went to college and i really feel like that was a turning you know a, a crossroads for me where i could have easily walked away from faith completely mm-hmm. um, but instead i i was surrounded by really strong women who like walked with me deeper um, i had an amazing resident assistant on my floor who was a senior and i like Totally wanted to be her when I grew up and mm-hmm. idolized her, and she was a super strong believer. And then my random roommate, who's still one of my best friends, was, you know, the maid of honor in my wedding. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, super strong believer, uh, but just totally random girl, you know, yeah. that, that we wound up sharing a dorm room with. So I, I look at my freshman year, and it was just so clear that God put people in my life to, to challenge me, to really... Uh, want to become in daily walk with God as opposed to you know this is a hat that I wear and an identity that I have but it's not something I think a lot about and it's definitely not a personal relationship Mm -hmm. Um, and you know as I as I grew both in my faith in college and in in the direction of of my career um you know I, I really felt this sense of mission um in, in particularly in journalism. and wanting, you know, I, I think oftentimes when we think about a missional vocation, you know we we think about uh, missionary fields, we mm-hmm. think about church, we think about um, uh, you know youth group and college ministries, and all super awesome, super important. and the the line there is obvious, right? Yeah. Um, about how God is using that as a missional field for his kingdom. Um, but when I think about journalism, like I see a ton of parallels as well. You know our job is to to talk about things that are often you know um, covered up by darkness and to shed light on it and to bring people who are most affected by issues to the table um, and share their stories and perspective and to like focus on truth. Yeah. Um, and all of those to me are just like so so biblically yeah. minded principles, um, not to say that. We do them perfectly because it's easy to look at our industry and see the failings. Um, But you know, I felt really motivated that journalism needed um, more Christians in it, Mm -hmm. and that also the goal of of you know journalism's ideals really aligned with my view of the world, which at the time was being shaped both by school and by kind of this growing faith within
3: me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So. Even when we are doing something for God, um, we can still be met with challenges. It's not right. like, you know, okay, all of a sudden I'm going to start, you know, living and working for God and then all my tro- you know, problems go away. Right. Normally I feel like there are more problems mm-hmm, <laughs> that can yeah. come up. So what obstacles would you say you had to overcome to get to where you are?
1: Yeah, um, I think I definitely had to get over uh, the the desire in me that was still really motivated by prestige and by, um, you know, validation from others. Mm -hmm. Um, I still have to do that all the time. Um, that's again, my tendency on the spectrum, um, and is to be motivated by those things. Um, and to just really focus on like, what, what does success look like for me? Um, and how is that going to be different than the world's definition? Um, which again is a is a lifetime journey, but was a was a huge obstacle for me, and even just choosing to move to Memphis and mm-hmm. choosing Shockbeat over other opportunities and choosing to stay.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: but I also think to be um, to be a woman in a male, what has historically been a male dominated field, and also to be young. Um, you know, there have been s- journalism is such a weird field in that you can be straight out of school. And in the in the room with you know the secretary of education and the mm. superintendent of the biggest mm-hmm. school district and mm-hmm. the president and Congress, you know like uh, Congress representatives and the list goes on. And so at a very young age, you're propelled into positions where you're asking people in power, often men, uh, really hard questions that they prefer not to be asked. Mm. Um, and when you know. When you think about the lessons it's taught me over the years, it's how to take up space in a room that I'm not particularly welcome in, at a, yeah. at a table that maybe historically people like me haven't been welcomed at, um, and how to be confident in taking up that space. Um, but certainly, you know, when I think about my career, all of the times that I haven't been taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of factors there. I think age is a factor. I think my gender is a factor. I think my profession is a factor. Um, you know, journalists rank really well on the, on the list of people, you know, professions that are disliked in America. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're, we're up there uh, with like lawyers and, you know, (laughs) pharmaceutical representatives. So, uh, and and I own the legacy of that. Like we've earned our spot there in some ways Mm -hmm. and we're working, you know, that's part of, again, the the fun work that my generation gets to do is to try to repair. Um, But when I, you know, when I think about challenges, Definitely not being taken seriously, mm-hmm. not being wanted, um, and having to figure out how to navigate in spaces where there's a lot of contention, a lot of mistrust, and a lot of dislike. Mm-hmm. Um, but still do my job effectively mm-hmm. and well, and hopefully yeah. in a way that builds trust over time, as opposed to continuing to, um, you know, continuing to feed a relationship that feels really divisive and volatile. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's those obstacles that you know some we probably can relate to but a lot of obstacles that we can't relate to that, that you experience but even with the obstacles you've hinted to some of these these motivating factors but I just want to ask you what motivates you even in spite of these obstacles being in a male-nominated uh, field being young and all those things that you mentioned what motivates you?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think back to what motivated me as a high schooler, and it hasn't really changed that much, which is seeing the impact of your work over time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I think about the work we've done at Chalkbeat, it we're a nonprofit, so we our currency or, you know, money maker is impact, being able to prove that we deserve to mm-hmm. exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, and that, you know, the work that we do is valuable. Um, and so when I think about my personal career, you know, that's uh, that's also the... The measure that I've used um, is, you know, how can I measure impact over time based on what I'm doing? Um, And it's it's really motivating in in seasons where that's obvious and clear. Um, And it's obviously harder in seasons when it's not. But, you know, I've in in journalism, we're fortunate to really um, our our body of work is very public Um, And so you can see the the measure of our work over time or not Um, and I've been lucky to work at an organization where I'm not uh, Where that is the currency as opposed to like clicks and um, You know the the most uh, You know chaotic headline you can imagine that's not what's driving our work (laughs) um, thankfully
0: yeah, so can you Kind of go a little deeper than that. I'm just curious. I wrote that down, you know, the impact. So how do you measure that in your field? Like there are some intangibles and there are some tangibles, but can yeah. you give an example like, hey, this is impactful. Like you saw yeah. the, the residual effect. Well, not residual. Is that always money related?
1: You no, know, it can be like But you get what I'm saying? How I got do you, you. measure I it? Money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, I'll give two answers. One is that we literally have a system at Chalkbeat. It's called Measuring Our Reporters' Impact and it, it we are Mori for short and we log impacts over the course of a okay. of a year. Um, and and often for us that looks like we changed laws, we changed district policy, we changed the f- the future of a school, yeah. we changed a conversation mm-hmm. at a at a policy or Um, district level because of the reporting that we did Um, and so that's that's to me I mean that's why journalism exists decisions that are made again in darkness are often not great decisions or at least decisions that are worthy of being talked about Hmm. by the people most affected by them Mm -hmm. Um, and that rarely happens in any industry including education Um, And so when our work changes that paradigm, that creates impact, that changes laws, that changes school systems, that changes the future for for students, hopefully. Um, And so that's the kind of stuff we're looking at. And then just at a personal level, like, you know, my mission at Chalkbeat has always been um, in our, we talk about representation of students, parents, and educators at that decision-making level. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have to hold our own selves accountable um, to making sure that our journalism is really representative of those parties that are most affected yeah. by the stuff that we're writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like that's been my personal kind of crusade at Chalkbeat. And I can look over the past six years and see, see the fruits of that labor. Um, we have more students involved with our work. We have more parents and teachers involved yeah. with our work. Um, and we're writing stories that are more relevant to their lives yeah. as opposed to just you know what's what's the big education debate of the day mm. which like honestly isn't always relevant to the mm-hmm. lives of of those we say we're serving Gotcha. thank you um
2: i'm i have a ch- two children now at shelby county schools and i can speak personally of just the invaluable resource that chalk has been especially during the pandemic i was wondering if you could talk about memphis um You know a lot about Memphis. You know a lot about education. Um, What gives you hope about um, the schools here in Memphis? Uh, What are some of the challenges you see?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad to hear you talk about things in terms of hope. I think, you know, something that I I work on with anyone I meet is um, there's this tendency to view journalism and view news as negative or positive, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is really a really unfortunate paradigm we've created. Because um, when I don't think about news as positive or negative, I think about it as true or not. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, there's an understandable beef <laughs> that people have with journalists that we're always talking about the bad. And I get mm-hmm. that. Um, but we're also trying to talk about what's true. And a lot of times it's talking about the bad because that's what's true and what exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, being a, as journalists being able to say but we're also going to talk about the good, um, because that is also true, is really important. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think about a story that our team did a couple weeks ago where we talked about how um, black girls in Memphis are the highest, have the highest graduation rate of any, you know, um, of any delineation of students. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is really good news and really cool and like not common in other school districts. Like something is going on in Memphis that is different. And so, you know, we wrote that story, and it was really cool to see it spread across the nation because people want people want to pay attention to to what's going on in Memphis. Um, That's pretty cool. And so, that's an example of something that gives me a lot of hope. Is you know, when I think about Memphis education in the past six years, I think about progress. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think about you know the humongous challenges of a historically underfunded school system of mm-hmm. systemic segregation and racism, um, and how those those really big, capital P, problems still exist, and still are very obvious when we think about the issues we have within our school system. Um, and if there was a silver bullet to fixing them, someone would have discovered it and be a millionaire by now. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, I think, when I think about progress, it's obviously very slow, but it's steady. And the hope is that our journalism shows that over time, even if, um, a lot of the times we're writing about things that feel very hard and weighty. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: gotcha. So like with, I think it's just so
3: interesting to ask you this question because you're in journalism, because everything, not everything you're doing, but a lot of what you're doing is in in record. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like there are other fields where you, there's no record of what this person yep. is doing, but like every article, you know, yeah. everything you're doing is like, so what do you, when you hear the word legacy, what does that mean to you? Like how do you view that word?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting to think about this on a couple levels. You know, when I think about my my own career and the legacy of my career, um, it is a little sobering how public it is. Um, You know, (laughs) there are, what I tell people often when they have, when they take issue maybe with something we've done, is like, you know, I I really hope that journalists are some of the most humble people you'll ever meet. Because for me, it's, you know, when you have a bad day at work, you know 3000 people don't read that <laughs> bad yeah. day at work piece <laughs> when i have a bad day at work you know like when i have an off day um <laughs> It, it, it really matters and it's public and yeah. I have to be able to own that as a, as a journalist and say you know what yeah like the framing on that article wasn't perfect and I agree with you and here's what I'm going to do to make that better. And I'm um, sure you hear a lot more when, yes. when something's off of than, course. than okay, all the articles good. that are yeah. Yeah. I think unfortunately because journalists have gotten so especially in the, the age that we exist in now um, one that's filled, I've, I've dealt with this a lot less than my peers but one that's filled with just so much hate um, mm-hmm. and so much backlash and so much vitriol. Um, it's so easy just to close yourself off to mm-hmm. the world and say, well, I'm gonna do my work and my work rocks and I don't care what you have to say about it. <laughs> um, and that's not what I want my legacy to be as a yeah. journalist. I wanna, I wanna be uh, building a culture of humility in my own work and in my company because I never want someone to feel like they, can, they come to me or come to Chalkbeat and feel unheard. Um, the whole point of journalism is listening. Um, yeah. and, you know, and the other half answer to your, to your question on legacy, it's interesting, you know, I grew up um, the daughter of a, of a mom who came to the States from Puerto Rico when she was 18. Um, and, and my dad is from Arkansas, and so I grew up in a mixed household. Um, but I would have never thought of myself as growing up the daughter of an immigrant. That's not something I ever, ever thought about when I was a kid, and Puerto Rico is a territory, so technically, um, you know, my mom is as, as American as anyone at this table. However, you know, she came to the States at 18, didn't speak any English, totally different culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Port, you know, San Juan, Puerto Rico is about as different from <laughs> small town Arkansas as you can possibly get. And as I've, as I've gotten older, I've realized that I have so many parallels in my story. With my friends who are uh, sons and daughters of people from India um, or elsewhere in the world, Mexico, who are who are uh, you know more obviously the sons and daughters of immigrants, um, and one of the parallels that I see in my story and theirs is this emphasis on family legacy, mm-hmm. um, this emphasis on you know my mom and my parents telling me their stories mm-hmm. and their struggles, their immense yeah. struggles um, with the unsaid you know uh unsaid note of and now you this is your this is yours Mm -hmm. to carry as well you know our our family trajectory uh is is with you um Hmm. and you know i think i think my mom handled that pressure um putting that pressure on me a lot better than a lot of parents but it was still there um and so you know when i think about what's motivated me Over the years and one of the reasons why I have been so motivated by by legacy and by prestige and by is it comes back to I know my family history and I know where my mom came from and I know where I am and there is a huge sense of responsibility to to use those gifts very well yeah
3: man that's so interesting um I'm freestyling a little bit off of this this paper but um like I I know like for black people, there's something called a black text, mm. where it's like you're thinking about where your ancestors came from mm. and how you, it's so interesting that those pressures can come in different forms right. um, with different nationalities, That's just so interesting to me. Um, and I know we talked about being motivated, but from what I'm, I'm getting from you is there's just so much reality that you're facing. I mean, as a, as a journalist, I guess I just never thought about how you know, one, how you said that you don't think of the news as good or bad, mm-hmm. but it, is it true or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you're very much looking at the reality, sometimes the harsh realities of this world um, on top of having kind of that pressure of, you know, the legacy of your family. Um, just all those things. I don't know. Like, I, I, I feel like living in that space, everybody doesn't live in that space every day. Right. Um, I think about how... You know, some of us can just turn the news off. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we can yeah. just, you know, okay, I'm just gonna turn my phone over. I'm not gonna look at, you know, Facebook or whatever. I'm not gonna, you know, read all of the New York Times today. I'm gonna just read a little bit, and you know, yeah. I'm gonna go like, to eh. the food section. Right, I'm gonna go to the recipes. <laughs> like, you know, we we can make these choices. Yeah. Um, but you're very much like, you know, it's right in front of you every day. So we talked about what keeps you motivated, but like, what keeps you like hopeful? Hmm. Um, with just seeing so much that isn't right with the world, I guess, Um, and so many things that even, like, (laughs) the reality of um, your your work every day, um, people not liking it or having, you know, critiques on top of being a woman, (laughs) on top of being, you know, a minority woman, on top of being a young woman, like, you're also seeing... I'm sure, some of the racism and sexism in your own experience.
1: Yeah, certainly. And I, then
3: you're writing about it, you know? Yeah. So, like, what keeps you hopeful for the future, and even what keeps you hopeful for the next generation of women in these male-dominated fields?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is, I have a really great group of friends, um, of girlfriends, we're all in different news organizations in different places, and, yeah. uh, you know, I'm the only Christian of the group, and it's really interesting to see to see the differences, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I, I have a lot of friends who don't have a lot of hope um, for yeah. the industry and for mm-hmm. their for their own work and for the world because when you are saturated and I mean just look at what's look at the global news of the past couple of weeks you know what yeah. gives you hope amidst such yeah. devastation and right. atrocities yeah. um, or when COVID started you know it was. Interesting for Jacob and I, my husband's also a reporter, you know, we were working 24 hours a day when the pandemic started and the rest of our friends were not. Um, yeah. And in and Memphis, at least. And, um, and we felt we felt the brunt of the knowledge of how, how terrible and scary that time was. We couldn't turn it off. It was our responsibility to try oh, to decipher God. what was happening and report it to, to people in a way that was truthful and made sense. Um, and so, you know, I, I really... I'm so grateful to be a Christian in this field because I know where my ultimate hope is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I know what where my responsibility stops. Um, yeah. There's a much that I cannot control in my own, mm-hmm. own life, much less in the field of journalism, much less in global politics and news. <laughs> and so just being able, over time, again, this is a lifelong journey, but being able to learn how to hand that off to God um, and that He he can carry that for me is... Yeah one of the reasons why I'm still in this field as opposed to, to leaving. Um, you know, but I'll also say that what gives me hope, again, when I think about my family story, one of the things that really propelled me into journalism was finding, when I was in high school, a photocopy of a news article in the small town that my, my parents are from, my mom moved to. And the headline was, uh, Puerto Rican family moves to town. Because wow. um, it was wow. so it was so... Crazy that, that, wow. that a brown person, much less a brown family, wow. had arrived, uh, and and the article Lord. is like everything that you think it's you know it will be. I think the I think the dude was trying real hard, but he had just never met a Hispanic <laughs> family before, yeah. and it you know it, it came across. Um, it, but it was it was mm. uh, we talk about um, we talk about how to say this for this podcast. But in journalism, we talk about a focus on poverty that's really. Gross, um, at, at telling, telling stories of people in poverty in a way that's really gross mm-hmm. is the best way to say it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and that article to me was, uh, it was gross. Mm-hmm. Um, it was painting my family in a deficit light. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, when I think about how that story would never happen at Chalkbeat,
0: yeah.
1: um, when I think about how, you know, yeah. we talk about the families that we write about at Chalkbeat in a way that is empowering and meaningful, though there are many parallels between my family at that time and the families that I'm writing about now. Mm -hmm. Um, And that gives me a lot of hope that we have a we have a change in the field that's happening right now, propelled and motivated by young journalists. Most of us who are coming from Far more diverse backgrounds than those Mm -hmm. before us, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think you can see that impact in the work that we're doing. Um, You know, and I'll also say my company is woman-founded and Um, woman-run, and a lot of the startup news organizations. You can look at where my husband's at at MLK50, woman-started, woman-run, Black woman-run. You know, there's there are news organizations that are are standing up that are not. Burdened by the legacy of its predecessors, mm-hmm. they get to start anew. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's going to really—you know—I'm biased because I've chose chalkbeat and I've been there, <laughs> but I do yeah. think that that's really changing the game, and it gives me a lot of hope for the industry. Yeah,
3: yeah, that is awesome. I'm just so happy that you are in the field. Like, I'm so happy to know that you are like—you know—a Christian mm-hmm. woman. Uh, In this space, taking up the space um, and making sure that the stories, for lack of a better term, aren't you know in a gross (laughs) right light. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just so amazing to learn from the people in our church in different fields because like we can definitely be on mission and not be working for a church. Um, And I just I truly truly believe that like wherever you are, like you're acting out your faith. And I definitely see where you are definitely acting out your faith on the day-to-day. So we just thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been you. really fun. Yeah, y'all, if y'all see Caroline and you have questions, I hope you get to know her. Uh, she's just an awesome person. I, I know, like, we have been just, our, our spirits have been lifted from this conversation. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, and that's, that's yes. all for Thanks, us Caroline. today, y'all. Uh, we're going to be back with Jennifer Goolsby. We're going to be talking about women in finance. We out.